Welcome to the OME Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. And in this podcast, what we do is interview speakers from the most recent OME conference, in this case, OME 2022, as a preview of their upcoming webinars. It's hard to believe that we're in season five already. And this season, we'll be talking to Laura Ginny Newman, Dr. Andrew Allen, Kirsten Dick, and Michael Jacobs. But in this first episode, we are talking with David Costello, who will be talking about mathematizing student thinking, broadening our perspective on problem solving. This is a preview of his September 14th webinar, and normally these webinars are for OAME members only, but in this first webinar of this season, it will be available to anyone. So stay tuned at the end for information on how to register. In the meantime, let's hear from David Costello. Hello and welcome, and uh, we are talking with David Costello. David, how are you doing? Doing great. How about you? Doing awesome. David, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know your relationship to mathematics. Definitely. So I live on the East Coast in Canada, Prince Edward Island, and I was an elementary school teacher where I taught everything from kindergarten through grade six. And from that experience, I moved to the board level where I was an intervention math teacher for grades one through three, and that continuously evolved. So what I did from that was I became the math coach for my district, and then our school boards merged. So I took the role of curriculum consultant and then later numeracy leader, where I led the math professional learning for my province in Prince Edward Island from kindergarten through grade six. And with that, I was able to keep connected to the classroom. So what I've been doing is I've been in classrooms as much as I possibly can to find out what's working and how we can support teachers. And I've taken that to help support teachers across the country and into the United States. And I now use that as an elementary principle to, to support teachers and students in the classroom. So I really come at it from the lens of, having that grounded practice in the classroom and using my various roles to be able to find out what really works. Now, being from the East Coast and and especially uh, on, uh, you know, the isolated island of uh, PEI, I'm curious uh, how you first, you know, heard of uh, OME or got in- involved with OME. Definitely. So when I was in the leadership role for math professional learning, I searched for opportunities to actually strengthen my understanding of math instruction and math learning. And it quickly became evident that OAME was one of the prominent math associations within Canada. So when I started examining it and looking into it, whether it was with the Gazette or whether they're conferences, I knew that I wanted to take that step and to join that community. So I did that a number of years ago. And it was a great opportunity to build a math network and to strengthen my understanding of mathematics as well. Now, is, is there is, is there a similar sort of organization in PEI? Or, I mean, I know it's a smaller community, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if there's more of a grassroots thing happening there. Uh, not quite so much, no. Um, I know the closest we have in terms of geography is in Nova Scotia, where I've been to their math association a few times. But no, um, and that's where I found that using Twitter and social media has really helped me stay connected with OAME 
And it's really helped me actually strengthen my own work, both in terms of professional learning and in terms of writing books as well, because it's such a great, rich network that it's just um, one of the strongest that I've seen in Canada. Yeah, and I know you mentioned Twitter, and I know I've mentioned it uh, quite a lot too. I find Twitter to be a, a great uh, professional learning network, uh, and it's been you know I've been involved with that for for over a decade, and and it's it's been so helpful in in expanding my thinking on on teaching and teaching mathematics. Absolutely, and what I find with it is during this lockdown for the past two years, we've had. It's really allowed me to stay connected with others in the mathematics community. So that's, that's also kind of kept me going during this time as well. Yeah, and it's you know hopefully we'll be back to face-to-face conferences uh, relatively soon. I know that we were trying to do that with OME 2022, but it just couldn't happen. Uh, so we were still virtual and, and, uh, you know, that's sort of why we're here. We, you know, you were one of our speakers at OME 2022 and, uh, actually you did three sessions and we, we like, to, we like to feature, uh, some of our speakers on the OME talks podcast and webinar series. And you're going to start us off this year in September by talking about your session called mathematizing student thinking, uh, broadening our perspectives on problem solving. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. So from my experience, when I've been in many classrooms and schools and districts, I've had the opportunity to appreciate all the work that educators have done in terms of problem solving and how we put a lot of time and effort and resources into that. But what I wanted to kind of do with this session, and it's in my book, Mathematizing Student Thinking, is I think we need to take an additional step, that we need to really examine the problems we're asking our students in mathematics because they've traditionally been defined problems. Now, within defined problems, there's a range of problems, which I talk about. But when we're only focusing on those defined problems, we're seeing a disconnect between the lived experiences of students and what's happening in school. So mathematizing student thinking is about broadening our perspective on problem solving to move into offering ill-defined problems in the classroom. And what that does is that will encourage our students to take more independence in their learning and to help them develop their confidence and their capabilities as math learners. Because what I'm seeing is there's a lack of engagement in the classroom. There's a lack of independence and of active learning. So we want students to have their thinking infused with mathematics and to have that relevancy in there. So you mentioned this idea of uh, ill-defined problems versus a traditional problem. I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a, you know, maybe contrast the two, or even tell us, maybe start by telling us what you mean by an ill-defined problem. Yeah, definitely. So, so then how I see it is, and I'll kind of come back to it. So when we think about problems, Um, math problems, we tend to think of them as having three characteristics. The uh, initial state, what the students are presented with, then they're provided, what is the goal state? What is the end result that they're looking for? And in between those, there are obstacles. So within within a defined problem, students have all the information necessary to solve that problem. And that's what we've tended to focus our problem solving on. 
But let's think about what happens outside of school and in our own experiences. How many times do we have all the information given to us to solve a problem? So ill-defined problems don't have all the information presented to the students. So the students have to take ownership and they have to make assumptions based on their experiences outside of a school and bring that information into an ill-defined problem to provide the structure. So it's really focusing on the mathematics as a way of using math to make sense of our real world, of our lived experiences and whatnot. And another defining point between the two is in defined problems, we always start with the math. Math is the starting point and context is usually given as a way to provide detail or in the hopes of making it meaningful. Whereas in ill-defined problems, we start with the context, we start with the lived experiences, and then math is infused in it, but we come back to that um, lived experience and that meaningfulness and that our relevancy. So it's just not an add-on. So I, I know that, you know, it's one, one of my pet peeves about, uh, I, I guess, well, for lack of a better term, word problems or story problems is that, I mean, it's, it's possible to write these, these types of problems and write them in a way that the context is just like the surface and that, uh, you know, you really could just use anything and yes. take the context out and the problem is still there. And... I'm kind of getting the idea that that the the context is the forefront here of these ill-defined problems. Yes, it is. Because what we've been encountering with our students for years, think about any math class you've been in. Students will say, why are we doing this? I don't care about this. Who cares about this? So when they're doing that and when they're being used to given all the information, they become passive learners and they're going through a process. So ill-defined problems, the context is the necessity of it. That's what students use to make meaning. That's what gives them the engagement, the uh, relevancy. And it broadens the role that the students play and there is no opportunity for passive learning within ill-defined problems because that's just not going to work. Students have to take an active stance in their understanding and in their mathematizing of their thinking in order to make sense of it. So within this ill-defined problems, it's really broadening our perspective on problem solving. It's just not using a four-step process to solve the problem, as we see we can do within a word problem. That's not that's not enough in ill-defined problems. So if you're if you're just starting out, if you if you've been using regular word problems and you you're intrigued by the idea of uh, an ill-defined problem, how how do you how do you start to, uh, for lack of a better phrase, train your students to uh, attack an ill-defined problem? Okay, that's a great question. And I just want to kind of back up because when I'm talking about the two categories of problems, defined problems and ill-defined problems, there's still a place for defined problems in mathematics. But what we have to understand is that 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 can't be all the problems students are encountering. 
they need to have the opportunity for both defined and ill-defined problems. But to make that shift, and I'm glad you asked that question because um, my wife is a principal and she's a math teacher who teaches a combined upper elementary class. And she asked the same thing. She said, I see my students aren't engaged with the problems I give them, but how do I take this next step into ill-defined problems such as you're suggesting? And it's about looking at what matters in our community. So in one class I was in, um, we were realizing the classroom really was running low of activities and supplies that they could use, whether it's in terms of project work or whether it's in terms of activities for the classroom. So what we did is that was our ill-defined question. What can we purchase for the classroom here that would make sense? And the students were very quick to say, well, you didn't tell us what we needed to buy and what the price was and how much our budget is. And I'm like, no, because they were used to having that those pieces of information given to them in an ill de in a defined problem. So what we had to do was we had to make assumptions and we had to work together collaboratively. And for this first time, what we did was we did it as a shared activity so that we could work together. We could build that discourse and we could support students in working through this. Because one of the things that you'll find in ill-defined problems, communication plays a significant piece as does collaboration. It's not just about doing the math, it's about thinking mathematically. So we're uh, looking for those opportunities from our daily experiences, from our communities, from the interest of students in order to craft problems. And some of the times that I've been in other classrooms, the questions actually come from students and I'll make note of them and I'll bring them back to the classroom. Uh, I think what what one of my aha moments and conversations with my wife as a fellow math teacher was, it's not enough to just include the students' names in the word problem. That's not making it relevant, and that's not making it meaningful. What we need to do is start with something that's purposeful, that's in our experiences, so that students can see how math is all around us and how math can be used to make sense of our world. So it seems to me that you have to you have to really know your students and know you know and, you know sort of build those relationships with your students so that you can find those contexts that relate to them and also knowing that not any one context is likely to relate to all students. Yes, that's right. And what it is sometimes when I'm getting to know my students and even just kind of what what I've done in a few classrooms is we just sit down. And we just talk about, oh, how can we use math in our lives to kind of solve things or to make sense of them? So from that comes up and it really works uh, through that. And we do a lot of work as teachers in terms of observation and in terms of listening to our students. When we do that, these questions work from that and they come out from that. And I'm not saying that we provide an ill-defined student, that, um, that we provide an ill-defined problem all the time. No, I think we have to think about it in terms of manageability and sustainability from the teacher's perspective and how we introduce them into the classroom and whatnot. 
And I worked with some teachers, like just a group getting together saying, okay, what are some questions or what are some ideas that we can use to start crafting some of these questions? So thinking about it from the lens of a, um, of a PLC or a community of um, a, a teachers actually working together across grade levels or within a grade level. Now, it, do you see uh, any role in, in actually uh, taking a defined problem that, that already exists? Is it, is it possible to take that and turn it into an ill-defined problem? Yeah, definitely. So, um, so then what I do is within a defined problem, there's a, there's a progression or there's a continuum within that category. So it might be that we're looking um, at a particular context or that we're uh, looking at a particular process within mathematics, whether that be visualization, our reasoning, communication, technology. And we're taking that and we're thinking about, okay, how can this be applied to a nil-defined problem? But the thing that we see more in, in ill-defined problems, I was working with a group of um, educators, and they said, what we're seeing when we're working with ill-defined problems is that it's not just based on a singular math concept. There's more opportunity to have multiple concepts addressed, whether they're within the same strand or whether they're across the strands. And we, we work through it almost through a um through an integrative approach where math concepts are somewhat all linked together so it's no knowing our students and it's about knowing the math well enough so that we can see opportunities for how math will be infused in this learning so david you're you're a principal in an elementary school yeah how do you come into that school and start to entice your your staff to start using these ill-defined problems and 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 this sort of problem-solving approach? Well, that's a great question. What I've come to appreciate as an administrator in the school is that the first thing we have to do is actually listen. And I've had the opportunity to be an administrator within three schools now. And what I hear across the schools is the same thing, lack of engagement from students, students waiting for the teacher to give them hints or suggestions what to do, and um, uh, students wondering why they're actually learning this. So what I have done is I've offered opportunities of, okay, well then what can we do? Because I've come to appreciate that teachers are already working as hard as they possibly can. They're burning the candle at both ends. So this is a way to work smarter, not harder. And it's a way to entice them to say, let's try this type of problem and see what happens here. But before they take it to their classroom, we really talk about it as a group of educators and think, why would we ask this question? What are we going to see from this kind of question? And what are some stumbling blocks? Because the one thing that comes up with ill-defined problems is that teachers are not the ones leading what their work is. Teachers are facilitating learning and they play an important part in it, but students really take that active stance in it. And we've come to talk our way through that and we've discussed what is productive struggle. And one of the things that I've had teachers tell me is, you know what, 
when we've done problem solving in the past, it seemed more like practice. Students weren't struggling with it. Students were just going through the routine. And while we thought it was problem solving, it really wasn't at all. So what they come to appreciate is that by by working with ill-defined problems, and we're not talking every day, but just in, um, by introducing them to the um, to their students, they see how students grasp the pur- purpose of the problem and use math to make sense of it. And I al- always um, encourage them to to share with it with the students first how this might look different than what we've traditionally been do- doing, but that's okay. And to also debrief at the end of the experience to really talk about this and to talk through it. So we don't want to give away the the whole uh, workshop at this uh, in this podcast. So we do want to leave some stuff for the actual webinar. As we uh, we're looking at doing the webinar in the, in uh, in September on the fourteenth, do you have a, a specific grade band uh, that you sort of aim this at, or do you think this is appropriate for all all uh, grade bands? It's appropriate. So what we're going to be talking about this and broadening our perspective of problem solving. This can be for all grade bands, um, especially I'm seeing K to eight. And then because the concepts we're talking about, about mathematizing student thinking is we want for everyone. So my goal through this uh, workshop will be to provide that structure and to provide the reasoning and the pathway in how to mathematize student thinking but then I will also give concrete examples and student work samples and questions from K to eight that teachers can immediately bring back to their classroom following it. So teachers will leave with um, with actual questions that they themselves can bring back to their classroom, as well as um, prompts for them to help navigate students through this experience. Okay. All right. So we appreciate you talking with us today to give us a little bit of an idea of what you will be doing your webinar on. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you in a few weeks. Absolutely. Thank you again. And looking forward to chatting math with everyone and um, wishing, uh, wishing all educators the best as we return for this upcoming school year. That was David Costello talking about how to mathematize student thinking. His webinar is open to all comers and is at 8 p.m. on Wednesday, September 14th. You can register at our OME MCIS registration site. And for all things David Costello, you can go to his site, costellomath.com, where he has all kinds of free resources as well as information about his new book, Making Math Stick. All those links can be found on the OME Talks website or in this podcast description next month, we'll be talking to Lori Jenny Newman about assessing mathematical thinking. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, stay safe.